Welcome to Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs, to discover the latest projects and opportunities like EOS IO. And I'm here today with the founder of ICO Alert and CEO of block producer Cypherglass, Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us for yet another episode of Everything EOS. It's kind of crazy that we're already on episode 20 here. Uh, If you enjoy the show, please do let us know by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening. We do appreciate the feedback and comments we get about the show, and we hope you'll continue to share your thoughts and opinions to help us continue to grow and improve. On today's podcast, we will be detailing the latest news and announcements around EOS IO, including the launching of the EOS Alliance, new DEXs and games launching on EOS, Ethereum dApps announcing support for EOS, and more. Now, before we get started, I do need to mention that this is not a sponsored podcast. We're just two excited members of the EOS community who hold EOS tokens ourselves, but we are not receiving compensation from Block One or anyone else within EOS for this podcast. In addition, I do need to mention as a matter of disclosure that both Zach Gall and I do hold EOS tokens ourselves and that this podcast should not be construed as legal, financial, tax, professional, or any other kind of advice. All right, so the big news this week, it's not necessarily EOS related, but more market yeah. and crypto related. We had um, some more ETFs get denied. Yep. Um, you're pretty good at explaining. Why don't you explain to everyone who's not informed about this what an ETF is? Yeah, so an ETF is what's called an exchange traded fund. Um, and essentially, it allows someone to trade uh, an asset, so something like gold or even you know corn or oil. It allows you to trade that asset, um, or I guess the price of that underlying asset, kind of like a stock. Um, so in, in this case, you know, with in a Bitcoin ETF, you know, for example, one of the ones that, that got declined yesterday, cause there were actually nine, I think that the SEC declined, even though they only had to answer on one, um, was an ETF that was pinned to the CBOE Bitcoin futures price and settles in dollars. Uh, some other ETFs that were declined were pinned directly to the value of a Bitcoin or 25 Bitcoin, for example. Um, but that's basically what an ETF is. It's a, an investment vehicle that represents value in some other asset. So I personally think that yesterday's news and, and the way the market reacted to it was very bullish and very good. Oh, absolutely. So it wasn't too long ago that the Winklevoss uh, ETF appeal, which wasn't even their application. This was actually the appeal to their original denial uh, from from a ETF proposal they proposed last year. Yeah. And when that got denied, that's whenever we saw that spike down from like an $8,500 uh, quick short little run on Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, but this one, the market kind of had it priced in. No one expected it to pass. And I don't think anyone actually suspected the Winklevoss one would pass either, but the, the market reacted regardless. And I thought yesterday, I only actually knew of uh, two or three of the ETFs, but then all the articles came out and said there were nine actually yeah. that got denied. Yeah. I knew of four that were coming out. I think three of which, including the one that we all, you know, saw that was going to be either approved or denied yesterday, um, all got declined. But it looks like the, the CBOE VanX Solid X Bitcoin ETF um, is the only one that hasn't been denied. So everything else basically across the board got wiped clean, and that CBOE one still exists. That, that's that's the thing right there, is everyone's got their eyes on the VanX Solid X Bitcoin Trust ETF. Um, that one got delayed, which all nine of the ones yesterday were outright denied. The Winklevosses was denied. And every time it gets denied, the SEC outlines a, a list of reasons why it was denied. Right. And one of, one of the main reasons uh, listed in the pro shares denial yesterday was that, quote, uh, that a national securities exchange's rules be designed to prevent fraudulent and manipulative acts and practices, among other things. The exchange has offered no record evidence to demonstrate that Bitcoin futures markets are markets of significant size. Yeah, and this to me feels like a bullshit reason from the SEC, to be completely honest. I mean, at the end of the day, they have the ability to approve or deny this if they want. Um, I think last time they had mentioned manipulation in Bitcoin markets. But what was interesting about this ETF that I highlighted on Twitter and said it had the best chance of being approved so, so far was that it's actually pinned to CBOE Bitcoin futures and not Bitcoin, and Which it settles is a regulated in dollars. Exchange. Exactly. So the SEC couldn't kind of use that this time and say, hey, you know, the underlying asset is manipulated since the CBOE Bitcoin futures are already regulated and approved by the SEC. So I think ultimately, whether they, if they want to deny something, they can come up with any reason they want to deny it. But this to me seems like, I don't know, not a legitimate reason. So as far as the manip- the manipulative pricing, right. I thought it was very interesting how the day before the denial, which would have been 
Tuesday night, mm-hmm. uh, BitMEX, which is <laughs> a leveraged trading derivatives platform for Bitcoin, Ethereum. I think it lets you longer short EOS also. But they allow up to 100x leverage. So crazy. And that, that includes both longing and shorting. Do you want to explain to people who don't know what leverage is what 100x leverage is? Uh, 100x leverage would basically, or any type of leverage, means that you're using the, the either Tether or Bitcoin or any type of crypto collateral. You're, u- you're using it as a, a collateralized loan to borrow more of another asset. Um, so you don't actually have to own um, 100x of Bitcoin. So, so what that basically means is if, if I have $1, I could buy up to 100 dollars worth of bitcoin with that one dollar because i have a dollar of collateral but if the price would even move a penny i would get liquidated right because direction yeah because you you absorb that loss times 100 yeah um and most platforms like i think polo actually was one of the first platforms i used that allowed uh leverage trading and they're us based which is interesting but they only allow it on bitcoin pairs and they require you to have i think uh like 40 percent of of your wallet collateralized so you can only go about 2x leverage which which is fair because then if if for example the price of eos moves up one dollar you're gaining two dollars if it goes down one dollar, right. losing two dollars so you, you could still get wrecked don't oh, get me absolutely. wrong you could easily get wrecked but your your your, your chances of getting liquidated on short notice are, are much uh, smaller. Yeah, if you're out there listening, going, "Ooh, I can buy a hundred dollars <laughs> worth of Bitcoin with my dollar," don't because you're yeah. going to lose your you're money. You're gonna get wrecked. Uh, just just look up Bit uh, Bitmex meme yeah, on Google. And it's you'll horrible. See some good ones. Just people losing money after other people losing money. Um, but basically, what happened on Tuesday night, the night before the ETF was denied, Bitmex went down for about thirty minutes of maintenance. Yeah. I, I don't know the exact time, but as soon as that happened, that's whenever we saw that fifteen-minute four or five hundred dollar green candle go yep. up on Bitcoin. And that was because right now we're in a situation where shorts are almost at an all-time high against Bitcoin. Uh, on, on Tuesday night, shorts were up to 60% against 40% longs. Yeah, and that's basically all of these people. 60% of people betting Bitcoin price is going to go down. The other 40% betting it's going to go up. And usually when that happens, when like ideally, I guess you'd want it 50-50 because then there's a, a long for every short. And it kind of evens out the market. Right. But whenever you're top heavy on one way or the other, there's always a chance for what's called a short squeeze or a long squeeze, which basically means that uh, the price will go up and start liquidating shorts. And when a short gets liquidated, it automatically turns into a market buy order, which further is the price upwards because of all the shorts either closing or getting liquidated. So basically what happened was BitMEX, which is the highest leveraged, highest volume trade platform for Bitcoin, it was down for maintenance. So anyone who had a short position wasn't able to deleverage it or close <laughs> it out. And everyone, or not everyone, probably a group of whales just oh, yeah. pushed the price up a couple hundred dollars and it, it just completely wrecked a lot of people shorting the market. Yeah. And then the next day it went right back and retraced almost 100% to where it was. Yeah, exactly. And then the ETF got denied yeah. <laughs> because of market manipulation. Well, fortunately that wasn't like what they, that wasn't their reasoning for it this time, which is no, good. No, and they, they had their denial all planned out prior to I'm that. sure, It yeah. had nothing to do with it. But it was just funny because some of the market manipulation kind of showed its ugly head the yeah. day before. But what, what's interesting about the VanX Solid X Bitcoin Trust ETF is that they're not using a, a price index from any one public exchange like BitMEX or even a, a collective of exchanges like using Coinbase and Kraken and all, all the big ones. What they're actually using is a price index based on a group of OTC platforms. Yeah. Which for those unaware, an OTC trade means basically trades that happen off of an exchange because they're, they're very big buyer sell orders. So we're talking millions of dollars of Bitcoin changing hands. And if you were to do that kind of selling on an exchange, you would drive the price either up or down in one direction just due to the liquidity on the books. Yeah. So typically, if you want to make a large sale like that, you, you call up a, a Bitfinex or a Coinbase and you work through their OTC trading desks and they match you up with a, if you're trying to sell a lot of Bitcoin, they'll match you up with a buyer and, and vice versa. So they're, they're using a price index based on a, a group of, of uh, an index of OTC funds, and, and they call themselves the MVBTCO index. Not sure what that stands for, um, but basically the price is going to be calculated every 15 seconds. It's going to close at 4 p.m. every day. Um, and that that's a major difference because those prices can't be manipulated like yeah. your, your spot prices on 
on the major exchanges that we see. Well, and that's one of the main things that the SEC mentioned in one of the previous denials, not the ones that happened this week, but one of the previous, maybe the, the Winklevoss. But um, anyway, mentioning that there's no real accurate price measurement. Right now, you have all these different exchanges. Some in Korea are trading $100 higher. Some here are trading $100 lower. So by having some kind of index like this that represents a reliable Bitcoin price, I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't work with any OTC trading desk myself, but it, it sounds like, I mean, there's a lot of talk that they're doing a lot of volume right now. A yeah. lot of the volumes going on in these OTC trading desks. So whenever you're talking about million dollar sales changing hands, the price that they're paying is going to be like an agreed upon price. It's going to be flat. It's not going to be susceptible to market manipulation. So that's, that's going to take away one of the arguments um, that the SEC might have against this ETF. And the other major advantage that the VanEck SolidX Bitcoin Trust has is they actually have insurance on the custody of their Bitcoin. So, wow. so they actually have um, $25 million of primary insurance coverage and $100 million in excess coverage with the ability to increase that insurance uh, depending on the value of the Bitcoin held in their trust. That makes sense. I mean, if you think about if this ETF does get approved, I would imagine that they will exceed way more than $25 million in Bitcoin that they actually hold themselves with all the institutional money then finally flowing in. So if anyone wants to know what my prediction is for this ETF, yeah. I'm going to predict another delay. Yeah, I but would agree. I, I think a delay is good because we know that um, the backed uh, platform is going to be launching, I believe, in November. Yeah. And the deadline for the, the SolidX Bitcoin Trust, the final possible deadline after all possible delays is going to be February 27th, 2019. Yep. I, I think early 2019 is going to be the perfect time for this thing to, to get approved. I, I think another delay is going to be extremely bullish. I think we're probably going to see some positive price movement leading up to September. And then we'll probably see another decline with, with the delay. But I see the delay as the most bullish thing possible just by knowing about the ice in the back stuff coming up at the end of this year. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so I guess that's it. Let's get back into the ES. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so that's a, a quick yeah. primer on ETFs and a bunch of other terms you may or may not have heard before. So vote, vote decay has been a big issue. So I think it'd be a good time to remind our audience to restake your votes because um, your, your votes actually decay. If you, for example, if you vote for your, your top 30 block producers today, after one year, your, your, let's say you vote hundred EOS, your vote power is only going to be 50 after one year. Exactly. And so after two years, your, your votes are worthless. Exactly. If, you, if you never restake your votes. Um, so your votes basically lose roughly a, a little bit more, slightly more, but roughly 1% of their voting power per week. So if you don't continue to re-vote, part of your stack basically gets chipped away every single week and your votes count less and less and less. But if you go in and just vote the same way you did the first time, your votes will automatically be renewed back to 100% voting power. It, it was uh, something that was being overlooked for a while. Um, oh, yeah. I did the show last week with uh, EOS Canada in New York with uh, Kevin and Josh. And after the call or after the podcast recording, we kind of were just talking a little bit and they brought up the vote decay and they're looking into it. And eight to 10 percent of almost every block producer's votes were completely decayed already. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of this vote happened at Genesis and then people just kind of forgot about it. Yeah, and a lot of people have been talking, you know, hey, remove vote decay. This is horrible, horrible. but the whole point of vote decay, and I'm in favor of this vote decay for sure, the whole point of it is to get you every time you're restaking your votes, whether that's once a week or once a month or even once a year if you don't really care as much, going in and making sure that the block producers that you voted for the first time are still block producers you want to vote for now. Maybe you want to remove some, maybe you want to add some others, but it, it sort of gives you an opportunity and forces you to go in and say, hey, am I okay with a block producers I voted for or do I want to switch it up? So I think it's a good feature um, and, and something that I think will ultimately benefit the health of the network in the long run, even though it may be a little bit annoying at the beginning. Some of the complaints I saw in Telegram or maybe suggestions were that um, some people aren't happy that the vote decay also happens when you vote for a proxy. Yeah. But I, I, I'm all for it. I, I think that the same rules should apply across the board. It, it's kind of a, a nuance that you just got to deal with. Um, because what it is is people. Some people are using proxies to to handle their votes because most token holders don't have the time to research all hundred plus block producers to choose their top thirty. So basically, that they're they're choosing a, a reputable proxy who they say, all right, I give you all of my voting power, and I trust that you're going to distribute my votes to the the top block producers based on your research. Right. But what what's happening is you think it's set it and forget it because you're basically giving your vote power to someone else. And, and they do control your votes, but they control what, what's left of your votes after the decay. 
So, yeah. so just everyone should uh, restake your votes. Basically. I totally agree. And I think it is a good thing for proxies because then it, even if you don't have time to go out and research the 100 plus block producers, make sure that if you did vote for a proxy, that the proxy is still doing what you want it to do. If they're you know, voting for only BPs with bare metal, just follow up with them in Telegram or just make sure that they're still doing what they said they're doing and then renew your vote for them. So I think while we're on, on the talk of votes, Cypherglass moved up in the rankings recently. Yeah. What happened? So we noticed something pretty interesting uh, a couple weeks back or even maybe a couple months back now a where months, you mentioned it to me. You know, we had a significant amount of votes from Bitfinex. So for those of you who don't know, Bitfinex allows the users on their exchange to vote through their internal voting tool. And then once a week, or it's been, you know, once every couple of weeks now, they renew the votes based uh, through their Bitfinex proxies based on the votes of their users on the exchange that hold that EOS. Um, we noticed one week that suddenly we went from having, you know, say 10, 20, 30 million votes on their platform to having none. And our name didn't come up along with, I think one other blog producer's name didn't come up in their, public you know transparency json file at all we were just totally eliminated from the platform anybody that cast a vote for us wasn't actually counting on bifinex so we've been working with them working with paolo the cto at bifinex um, over the last couple of weeks to basically fix their voting tool the, the tool had some issues um, we made it a little bit easier for them to recast their votes made it easier for them to tally their votes and now finally that tool is working again and we got another i think it's 17 million votes from those bifinex proxies so we're back up at uh, i believe as of today position 26 and i think we're five or six million votes away from the top 21. So awesome. pretty good move. And, and, you know, we appreciate the folks at Bitfinex Palo and a shout out to, to James Sutherland, our, our star tech guy um, who worked with him all these weeks to really help them fix that voting tool and get it all back on track. Were there any other BPs that you noticed who moved in the rankings because of that? Or it, it's pretty hard to tell. The rankings actually got shuffled up a good bit recently. Yeah, I mean, anytime the rankings get shuffled significantly, it's generally when Bitfinex revotes. So it's those proxies that are sort of, you know, that biggest voter on the network right now through all the Bitfinex users. Um, I noticed EOS New York dropped down a bunch. EOS Canada dropped down to 14. Yeah, I, uh, I, someone in the office here at ICO Alert said something about the the rankings changing that was actually i hadn't talked to you in a few days and that was actually the first time i noticed cypherglass moved up because you guys dropped as low as like 40. oh yeah we were in 41 42 we got down pretty low which, which was surprising because i feel like you're you're one of the people's champions in some of these <laughs> telegram groups like you do all kinds of great video content you're really informing the community and that, that's one of the expectations of the block producers and right i mean i feel like you've gained a lot of respect from the other bps um, but there's all, there was also other good BPs that were ranked a lot lower than I thought they should be. Oh, absolutely. Um, but but the shuffle, man. See, seeing the people who were in the top five drop to like the tens and teens. Oh yeah, I mean, was big. This whole thing, not to jump into a huge tangent, but based on the the worker proposal fund talk that you had with um, EOS Canada and EOS New York, which I think was a great episode. I listened to the whole thing on the plane, and it was fun to listen to an everything EOS <laughs> episode for once and not know what's going to happen. But I think this, seeing what's happening in the block producer rankings and seeing what's happening with the token price, is the strongest argument I've seen for keeping the worker proposal fund because block producers right now are worried about covering their infrastructure costs. Some are breaking even, some are maybe making a little bit of profit, and a lot are losing money. So to also expect block producers to be out funding dApps and funding projects rather than the worker proposal fund is, I think, a little bit unrealistic. So think about if you were number two BP like EOS New York, and now suddenly you're number eight, your income drops a significant amount. So I think worker proposal fund is more important now than ever, and and uh, something that we should definitely continue pushing forward on. And I mean, I'm interested in it too. Obviously, that's why I wanted to talk about it last week. Um, there's a lot of people against it, and I I don't think they fully understand the situation. Like, we we have to handle it delicately. We have to plan this out. No one's in a big hurry to get this done. We right. want to get it done maybe in the next couple months, definitely within a year. Yeah. But like, we're not trying to rush this to to turn into just a money grab for for everyone with with whale votes so like we we want to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen but there's a lot of things that need funding and dan, dan larimer's just got a very strong voice and he spoke out against the wps and removing the in, the four percent inflation and now every a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon without doing due diligence um even last week on the talk, uh, Josh had even mentioned 4% probably is high for an inflation for the WPS. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are in favor of lowering that percentage and maybe Definitely. even capping it at a spe specific dollar amount. Well, and I really liked Kevin Rose from East New York. I loved his analogy of sort of this faucet where you don't want to just leave the faucet on all the time if you don't have a cup under it. But once you have a project under it, you know, if, if the project is the cup, you put the cup under the faucet, which is the work proposal fund, and fill it up, and then you turn the faucet off. I like that a lot better than just sort of letting this money collect and collect and collect, and then opening that money up to manipulation of somebody coming in and asking for a ton of money and getting whale votes. And so. that, that was another 
uh, part of the official WPS proposal is, so right now there's about, there's over 6 million EOS tokens in this fund from that inflation. They want to burn like 5 million of them yeah. and just start with that million and then cap it at a million so that it can never go above a million. And I like that's that. kind of what it caps at. And that makes sense to me uh, be, because we don't want to fund everyone in their brother's projects, but there's a few key projects and they're mentioned last week on the episode. If you want to go back and listen uh, to the episode about the worker proposal system, but it, it just blows my mind that Dan spoke out so heavily against it when um, the the a, fun, a similar fund to this on BitShares was the reason that he left BitShares in the first place. <laughs> was basically in a bear market. So so BitShares allows DAOs kind of to operate w- within their own platform, and it was originally supposed to be self funding, so it would fund its own development. Yeah. And it, during a bear market, I don't know if it's 2014, 2015, I don't know when it was, but the voters voted against funding Dan Larimer's development on the platform. <laughs> and that's when he left to go build steam. Yeah, exactly. So if it anyone kind of should ironic. understand the need for self funding your own platform yeah. development, like Dan, it would be Dan. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure he's got good intentions. Um, and we'll, we'll see what they have coming out in September because there's a lot of teases. We'll, we'll get to that later on in the episode. Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention, you know, speaking of all these new products, there are new products that are moving to EOS, but all of the products that have already moved to EOS, that have already airdropped, people have been wondering, you know, where can I trade these things? And just did a video on this, didn't you? Just did a video. If you go to youtube.com slash cypherglass, you can check it out there. Um, basically outlining two new decentralized exchanges, which launched on EOS in the last, I think, month. Um, so relatively new, but actually have a surprising amount of liquidity. So a lot of people right now don't think any of these airdrops, other than maybe IQ, the Everpedia token, are trading because they go to coinmarketcap.com, they search it, and they don't see it pulled up there. But all of these tokens are actually being traded on decentralized exchanges that aren't hooked into CoinMarketCap. So if you go to dexeos.io or newdex.io, you can see pretty much all the airdrops on Nudex, some of the airdrops on Dexeos that are trading now. So if you missed out on an airdrop and you want to buy more, head over and buy some. If you, you know, have some that you want to sell that you're not too too excited about, you can go over there and sell them as well. So two new decentralized exchanges, both launching on EOS. And one of the things I mentioned in the video that I kind of want to restate here now is just using these DEXs, even if you're only buying one token or selling one token, it's pretty crazy to see the power of EOS firsthand. Because if you've ever used a decentralized exchange on Ethereum, mm-hmm. you know how horrible it can be. You're waiting a couple minutes for your trade to confirm. You're paying a dollar transaction fee, sometimes more. And on EOS, no transaction fee. It's totally free. And all of the trades are settling instantly with that half-second block time. So it, it's a really good user experience. feels just like a centralized exchange, which I think is important. And one of the reasons why it has so much liquidity. You've personally used both? I have used both, both Dexios and Nudex. I personally like Nudex better just because they list all of the airdrops versus only some of them on Dexios. But, you know, if you're in there looking to buy, maybe buy from both because they they both can sell at the same price and combine the liquidity. How is their UI? The UI is good. It's comparable to... I would say Nudex reminds me a lot of Binance. Uh, it's very simple. You know, you have a scroll to, to pick your pair. You can go in, buy, sell. It's, it's very similar to a centralized exchange. And other than having to click approve in Scatter, it functions exactly the same as any centralized exchange, but it's decentralized. How about liquidity? Liquidity is pretty good. Um, more so on some tokens than others. Obviously, IQ, CET, now EOS Black have a ton of liquidity. Um, there are others that's kind of up and down where you may go in to you know, buy and see, oh, there's not a ton of sell orders available. But then an hour later, there's a bunch of sell orders that then all get bought up. So it just depends on the time of day. But a lot of these projects have a pretty significant amount of liquidity and are trading at decent prices. So your airdrops are worth something. That's pretty cool. Um, so we also have some notes here. There's a lot of projects uh, that have, or, or from Ethereum actually, yeah. that, that have announced porting or migrating or supporting EOS. Yeah. So we already know about Wax a long time, a couple months ago. They announced that they're forking EOS. Right. They're going to use it. They they did their due diligence and they decided EOS was the best platform to use, although not the main net. Uh, we saw Bancor. They they ported their protocol over to EOS. Yeah, and they'll actually be launching their own decentralized exchange soon on EOS. So another one to look out for. I didn't even I didn't hear about that. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Um, but. Was it just this week that these two projects announced their their migration or support? Uh, I believe so, yeah. All right, so XYO Network, which is described as uh, the first decentralized crypto location network to help power dApps requiring geolocation, um, they actually tweeted out with their official Twitter account that they were interested in becoming an active member of the EOS Alliance, which I'll get into later. And they they basically said that they share their same vision. And then later on, their co-founder, Scott Shepper, he followed up on on the EOS subreddit, basically 
saying that they're committed to having their Oracle network support EOS, which will basically uh, enable EOS smart contracts to call out to the real world for location data via the uh, XYO network API. Yeah, and it's important to note XYO and XYO network was one of the biggest ICOs this year, sort of post uh, bear or in the bear market, post bull market. Um, but they they support a bunch of different platforms, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Neo, Lisk, all kinds of stuff. But now adding EOS to that and sort of recognizing EOS as another platform that they want to support and, and add Oracle support to, I think is a, a very, very good thing and just sort of, you know, reinforces the fact that EOS is here to compete with everybody. And in my opinion, obviously, is, is doing a better job than all these other platforms. And there's another project called Sentinel, which I don't know much about, but I do know it was moving from the Icon platform, ICX, for, for anyone familiar with that. And that that's one of the... I've seen that mentioned as like an EOS competitor. It's supposed to be a scalable platform. So it's real interesting to see a project moving off of Icon to EOS. Yeah. And it, was it you? They were telling me you were in their Telegram group and saw a lot of people were surprised to see them moving to EOS. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe EOS is actually legitimate. That, that they had, you know, sort of <laughs> thought it was, it was not a, me, but I could see myself saying yeah. that if I, uh, <laughs> if I was in their Telegram. But yeah, Sentinel Protocol basically is some kind of uh, cybersecurity protection Um not sure more than that, but yeah. it's cool to see another project moving to EOS, recognizing that EOS is really the only platform now that can support what they want to do. And then you actually mentioned a project called Infiniverse. Yeah, can so talk about that? I don't know a ton about this other than the video I watched and I checked out um, their website, but it, Infiniverse is sort of like Decentraland, which allows you to buy virtual land, but rather than buying that virtual land in a virtual world, you're buying that virtual land in the real world. So your backyard, for example, could be a plot of land and you wear, you know, augmented reality goggles or you use your phone to sort of see that augmented reality world and you could own that land, build on that land in the, the digital world. So it's almost like a, a simultaneous digital world overlaid on top of the real world that people can sort of it's own and trade. And, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Infiniverse, if you go to Infiniverse.net, you can check it out and see their cool promo video. But this is a totally new project that just announced that we'll be running on EOS, we'll be airdropping on EOS as many of these other projects are. And it's just cool to see more and more developers coming out and announcing their support to build an EOS dApp, especially when we're in this bear market. It's just exciting to see all these people building, 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 putting their heads down and getting to work rather than, you know, sulking over the price. So on, on top of the Ethereum projects moving over to EOS, there's some uh, other EOS projects that launched. EOS Nights, you said you've played it. I keep seeing people yeah. talking about it. People are actually making like oh, yeah. EOS selling stuff on I mean, this Nights game. This is what I'm so excited about, about games on EOS that are finally tokenized. We've talked about this since, since Bitcoin in 2013. People were talking about, oh, you can have tokenized games. It's going to be awesome. But now to actually see it happening and see people making money on it since there are no transaction fees like on CryptoKitties and all these other things, it's, it's very exciting. Um, I tried out EOS Nights. It's, it's not that it's not well done or well built. It's that it's not a style of game that I enjoy where you don't actually control the characters. You sort of level them up and power them up and give them armor and then they automatically fight other enemies uh, sort of on your behalf. But it's worth checking out if you Google EOS Knights or I believe it's eosknights.io. You can go check it out and, and play it a little bit. It may cost you 0.1 EOS to buy your first night, but it's worth the 50 cents right now to try it out and, and use a game that's built on EOS. And the other, the other game that's been getting a lot of buzz, it's EOS Bet has a, a dice game. Yeah. I think this is actually another Ethereum port, isn't it? I, I'm pretty sure I was on their website to do some research, and I think EOS Bet, I think, was originally in Ethereum. Maybe. I mean, there have been so many different dice games that have launched on pretty much every platform now, but what's interesting about EOS Bet, or I guess new about EOS Bet versus ETH Bet, um, is that everything happens instantly, confirms instantly, because it is on EOS, and you're also not paying that dollar transaction fee, so people can do a, a variety of different bets. You know, in the past, if you wanted to bet 20 cents and do that on Ethereum, you're also paying that dollar. doesn't make sense. You're, you're basically cutting out all the small bets. But here you can do a bet for 20 cents in EOS, win it, and you're not paying a transaction. I fee. think the reason I thought they ported for me is I just went back to their website. They, they have an Ethereum games link. Oh, I gotcha. So I just assumed that they had prior... Yeah. prior like you made ethereum games but one of the do people really play these dice games oh yeah i mean if you go to eos bet you can see all of the different bets that are happening you can see whether they won or lost how much they won or lost based on the the dice it, it i don't personally recommend it but that's because i don't personally gamble other than like bets with friends that are just sort of fun million but, dollar yeah, <laughs> million dollar EOS bet. <laughs> somebody called me out on that on twitter and i was like good point but I mean, with dice games, you know, they tell you straight up that the house always wins, even if you're doing 49, 51 odds, you're going to lose in the long term. But it's a fun game to play to, you know, see the power of EOS and see how quickly it all confirms. What, what I think is cool about these games are like 
it's like playing a slot machine. You just repetitively hit the button and keep re-rolling the dice. So it's actually adding a lot of transactions to the network to really show its true speed. Oh, yeah. I saw something on Reddit. Said it had a really high number of like 40,000 40, transactions or, or something within the 24-hour period. Oh, yeah. I think it got up to the point where it was doing 30,000 actions per hour, I believe it was. I could That's be wrong on stat. that. Well, I don't have the stat right in front of me. I'm looking on Blocktivity, though, and it's saying our record TPS for a day is... 10,101,725. Yeah, for the whole network. So I, I don't know what that works out to per hour, but that, that's pretty damn It's fast. a significant amount, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I'm most excited about with all these games is, so I don't know if you saw Scatter, which is a, a popular you know Chrome extension wallet that you have to use to play EOSBED and EOS Nights and use these decentralized exchanges. You have to use Scatter to, to interface with all that. They're actually working on mobile support. So once their mobile app is ready, even though it won't be a hardware wallet, like Block One's upcoming wallet, which I would use over Scatter at that point, um, but in the meantime, you'll be able to play games like EOS Nights and play, you know, betting games like EOS Bet right on your phone. So imagine you're sitting on the train, you know, on your way to work, sitting in a taxi, whatever you're doing. You can play a game on EOS, maybe make money on EOS, maybe lose money on EOS on your phone, which I just think is going to be very cool and open up a whole new set of use cases and a whole new set of dapps that could actually be built and utilized right on your mobile phone. I was on the EOS Nights site just to see what they're all about, and they're saying that they're Apple and Android uh, versions of their application will be out soon exactly and likely using scatter's new mobile wallet hopes so. or or, or the, maybe their own wallet yeah or the block one hopefully yeah so i asked i asked josh and kevin their thoughts so dan's been teasing some sort of announcement at the london hackathon that's going to be on uh september 22nd and 23rd in london it's yep. going to be the third uh, event of the global hackathon series and then the fourth one's coming up in november is announced that it's going to be in san francisco yep which was also big news so w what do you think we're going to see at the london hackathon the more i think about it the more i tend to agree with you and sort of build off of your idea so i honestly think we're going to see finally that ios hardware wallet from block one and to your point about limiting abuse of people signing up. So for those that don't know, through this hardware wallet that uses the Secure Enclave chip in your iPhone and basically turns your iPhone into a Ledger or a Trezor wallet and makes storing your coins super, super secure, keeps your private keys offline, Block One has said that users who sign up through that wallet will be given free EOS accounts, which basically means that Block One is covering the couple bucks that it takes to generate a new EOS account and pay for that RAM. But in order to prevent people from just signing up a thousand accounts and, and abusing the system and draining Block One of all their money, they have to have some kind of spam prevention. What makes more sense than anything is, is biometric ID. So using that iOS hardware wallet in order to use it in order to sign transactions, you're going to sign transactions either with your face, if your phone has face ID, or with your fingerprint, if your phone has touch ID. But whichever one you use, you're sort of linking all of your transactions to your biometric ID. So I would not be surprised to see Block One also release some kind of an identity solution and say, hey, you can sign up and get a free wallet as long as you link your fingerprint or your face ID to this, get that free wallet, and they're also building out their... Um, sort of identity platform. And the reason why I think this makes sense for them from a business perspective is every business, whether you're a software company or, you know, us on a podcast, we all have, you know, a cost per customer. We have a, a customer acquisition cost, as people call it. And if Block One is trying to launch this new identity service as one of the major dApps that they launch, three to four dollars to set up an EOS account seems like a relatively low cost or customer acquisition cost. So if they can basically give someone that $4 to set up an EOS account for free and then get a new user of their identity system, it seems to me that that makes a whole lot of sense for them to do. And it being $4, they could dedicate, if they wanted, $400 million to this thing and sign up 100 million users on their new identity platform while simultaneously signing up those 100 million people to the EOS network. So it's something that I think makes a ton of sense and is what I'm hoping is launched. I hope that they come out and say, hey, here's our iOS hardware wallet. Here's the identity solution to prevent abuse of us giving out free accounts. Um, and that alone, just the hardware wallet, but also the identity solution, would offer up so many new use cases for EOS that I'm really hoping it's that, but I, I also recognize that it could be 100 other things as well. Yeah, that, that's why I mentioned they're, they're not going to give away free accounts without some sort of spam protection. Absolutely. Um, and I, I'm trying to like dig into more details to try to figure out what's going on. And I've never really... I've heard Ian Griggs' name a lot. He's, yep. he's a Block One employee, but I never really dug into his background much. So the the more I dug into the background, the more he has a whole, he does whole presentations on identity on really? the blockchain. Yeah. Like it's like one of his specialties. And he, he's got his own project he's working on in like Africa where he's trying to basically crowdsource like loans and all, all kinds of crazy stuff, but wow. it involves identity. And 
as soon as I get more time, I'm actually going to try to dig deeper into it so I could share, share my findings with everyone. But his knowledge of decentralized identity runs deep. That's amazing. <laughs> deep. <laughs> and if you think about it, decentralized identity is something that so many crypto projects have tried to solve for so long. Civic is sort of the main one that I think uses your phone number, but can still be abused in that way. So linking something to a hardware wallet that uses your fingerprint or your face through Face ID mm -hmm. is something that you can't fake, something that you can't go out and get a bunch more of unless you're paying people to give them your fingerprint. Yeah, um, so, so, so there is possibility for fraud. So let's, right. let's say we use fingerprints. Okay, I've got a bunch of money. I'm some whale. I want a bunch of people to vote. I can go out in the street and get a bunch of people to, to scan their fingerprint to create this wallet. But then are, are you going to be able to get that person every single time you need to make them a decision or a transaction? No. You're going to need all their fingerprints again. Exactly. So it, it's, it's kind of hard to do. And then also the thing you need to eliminate is the possibility for, for like collusion. Um, and someone trying to advertise that they need people's fingerprints to do this also spam attack. I think it's worth noting that even if you are a whale that wants to pay people to give them your fingerprint, you're not going to pay them more than it costs to make an EOS account. Mm. If that's $4, somebody on the street is not going to put their fingerprint into your phone for $4. They're going to look at you like you're crazy and call the police. I'm thinking more, so not so much, I'm, I'm thinking about the free accounts because there's yeah. a dollar value to them, but I'm also thinking more long-term of a, a different type of voting system where one ID could be one vote as right. opposed to oh, absolutely. how some all of the voting right now is one token, one vote. And I think that's always going to exist, but I think there will be other voting methods for, for different parts of the EOS puzzle here. Yeah. Um, and it, it let's say, I don't think this will happen, but if block producer voting went to one EOS account, one vote, which and I'm not saying this will happen because I, I don't think it will happen, then you could, if a block producer wanted to basically bend the rules and just pay a bunch of people to create accounts using their fingerprints, it'd be very hard to do because they'd leave a big paper trail of them advertise like they'd have to reach out to so many people oh, to yeah. get this to work that it'd be very obvious to like point your finger at them and say you guys are idiots like, oh we absolutely we're never we're gonna ban you from this and we're never voting for you absolutely and that's why i think biometric makes the most sense i mean then you're not relying on a phone number you're not relying on a government id which some people don't have it, it's very accessible for anybody that already has an iphone or a mac that you know has those features built in mm-hmm uh, and so even even before we move on, Android phones. A lot of Android phones use fingerprints now. Um, and Dan has mentioned that that Block One hardware wallet will support many premium Android phones once the iOS version is is out there and live. So so as far as Dan teasing things, this kind of came about in the EOS general chat. Someone, some DAP developers named Steve Harmon. He basically said at current pricing that he has about two hundred thousand users that they want to move over to the EOS mainnet. And he said that would, even at today's price, would cost $600,000 of stake to create these accounts. And then Dan responded directly to him and said, if users sign up through our coming service, then you won't have to pay for their accounts. Yep. So that's all but, com that's confirmed. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's, I think one of the things that you mentioned, I think this was in Telegram, one of the things that people sort of forget is through our coming service, that part of that sentence. People just assume, oh, if your users sign up through you know, the hardware wallet, then they'll get a free account. But there's a service that goes along with that hardware wallet that I think has to be identity because what other service can also simultaneously prevent abuse? Yeah, 100%. And there, there's got to be uh, motivation on both sides. Yeah. And yeah, Block One wants to get user adoption, but they also want to profit themselves in some way. So this service is probably going to be a profit driver like Absolutely. long term for them. And that's great to see. I mean, 200,000 users, $600,000, $3 per account. That seems like a very low customer acquisition cost for Block One to build out this identity system and get a ton of users. And as we shoot to extreme or, or shoot to achieve mass network adoption, you only need to create an account once. Yep. And once you have that account, you'll be able to use any DAP that's built from now into perpetuity. Yeah, some people have, have sort of brought up this question, hey, don't I have to make a new account for every DAP? I have to make an account for that DAP specifically. No, it's it's one EOS account that works across every single EOS DAP. So by Block One doing this and bringing all these people into the ecosystem, these are people that now can use any of the, hopefully at that point, hundreds of DAPs that exist on EOS, totally free without making any new accounts or anything. So another big news that, that came out actually before last week's episode, but we, we didn't do a regular recap here, is the launch of the EOS Alliance. Yeah. And the EOS Alliance, they published a, a mandate, and it says the EOS Alliance will serve under its guiding vision of empowering EOS for all to curate and co coordinate various existing efforts within the EOS community. The Alliance will facilitate multi-language conversations, initially in English, Korean, and Chinese, 
and educate around key ecosystem issues, debates, and developments. They're going to refrain in accordance to its bylaws, which are now being drafted, from gaining any executive power within the EO's governance structures. And they're also going to facilitate discussion and help among work groups to make clear recommendations. As its first act, the EOS Alliance has already begun forming a series of working groups with diverse community participation to inform, advise, and advise on the EOS ecosystem's most challenging topics. Yeah. So basically, it, it's a party that it, of, it's a group of people that are going to have funding outside of the WPS, outside of block producers themselves, and it, its its main goal is to initiate conversations that are they're useful to building up this new world order that we're essentially trying to create. On, <laughs> Don't on say the that ES term; it's a bad term. <laughs> the NWO for life, brother. <laughs> um, but basically, I think this all came about from from something Brock mentioned, didn't? Did you watch that video? So Brock has actually been Brock Pierce, one of the people who used to, you know, be involved with Block One in some capacity, then left and is now doing this along with Thomas Cox, who also used to be a part of Block One and now left. They're sort of spearheading the EOS Alliance. Brock Pierce was sort of outlining his vision for it that now I think has been adopted. So essentially, the EOS Alliance will have seven core board members that are appointed that oversee the alliance, make sure everything's running properly, and then have uh, a series of sort of sub-directors based around different topics. So there will be seven people that talk and discuss about the Constitution, seven people that talk and discuss about working proposal funds, seven people that do things on block producers or governance. So it's basically establishing, establishing this nonprofit entity, almost like uh, different boards and different board members that will sort of not make decisions, but sort of try to educate the community on potential decisions that are being made in the network. And what I, I thought was interesting is they capped their... Uh, annual budget to a million dollars per year. So yeah. that's basically saying, hey, this isn't some big money grab. We're not just trying to get us all a bunch of huge salaries. We're capping the finance for this entire organization at a million dollars per year. We're going to do everything we need to do from a million dollars and a, a lot of volunteers. Yeah, and I think that's great. I mean, one of the things that I'm very excited about, even though I think it potentially prohibits me from participating, is they say the EOS Alliance will refrain in accordance with it by, with its bylaws from gaining any executive power within EOS governance structure. So because I am the CEO of Cypherglass, a block producer, I presumably would not be able to participate and neither would any other block producers. But I think that's a good thing. And I think it makes sense to avoid conflict of interest and avoid any parties from gaining too much power within the ecosystem. What, what I thought was interesting, so Brock's probably the biggest name on, on the list as far as I'm concerned, but there's one name that actually has more mainstream appeal Akon. <laughs> so, <laughs> so weird. Yeah, I, I don't know much about his background. I know he, he's a big blockchain enthusiast and he has been do, doing, he has a project I think in Africa he's, he's working on. So I'm not going to like take a stab at his credibility. He's yeah. probably very knowledgeable. But from me on the outside looking in, I'm just like, Akon, really? Well, and Akon, if you listen to this, we'd love to have you on the show. Tell us about your, your yeah. blockchain background. You know, DM us on Twitter and, and let us know at Finchify or at Blockchain Zach with a K. I mean, if, if he could speak to the technology and speak intelligently of it, he's got a big voice. Oh, absolutely. So I'm, I'm all for it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm all for anybody joining the EOS ecosystem, regardless of your past background, whether you're a, a platinum artist like he was or you're somebody else that hasn't done anything in your life before. I'm, I'm all in favor of you joining. And it's interesting to notice here, actually, that a couple of the chair, a couple of the core people on the board are members of block producers. So maybe that's not a conflict of interest that they're looking at. We have Bancor, uh, EOS Gravity, EOS Store. I think that's it. So those three people, also block producers, also on the EOS Alliance. I'll have to, to talk with them and see if they think that's a conflict of interest or not. So what's going on from how I understand it is that these seven initial board members are only going to be the board members for less than the first year. Over the course of mm. the first 12 months of the Alliance, each one of their seats is going to go up for election and then they're slowly okay. going to get phased out or voted in by the community. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. So yeah, you got to start somewhere. Right. So they're they're basically um, they're basically saying they're, they're pre-mining. Yeah. <laughs> they're <laughs> the pre-mining their board seats. <laughs> I like that. Well, and it makes sense. I mean, these are people that have a deep understanding of EOS and the sort of the current state of the EOS ecosystem. So for them to lead it now and then pass it off to people who are elected and are not block producers, I think is totally fine. And then some other big names associated with the EOS alliances. Uh, Kevin Wilcox, who I'm guessing probably play, played a major role of launching this. He's going to be the communications director. And also uh, Thomas Cox, who used to work for um, Block One. He's going to serve as the interim executive director. Yeah. And I'm assuming that he'll be the permanent executive director. He'll get voted in. I'll, I'll vote I would for agree. Him in, a, in a second. And I think 
think, you know, a lot of this is interesting to see two people who used to be at block one now sort of running this. I think it's it's good. I mean, I think even though they're not working at block one anymore, I'm sure that they're sort of carrying over some of the opinions that block one has and, you know, informing the alliance and informing the community of what block one wants to do in addition to what the community wants to do. Ultimately, it's up to the community to decide. But I think considering block one is, is something that we should all be doing as well. So... One of the big initi initiatives with the EOS Alliance is they need a group. They need a lot of volunteers. They need a lot of thought leaders. They need a lot of people with a strong opinion on how the governance should work and a lot of these other issues. So actually, this Monday and this upcoming Tuesday, that's the 27th and the 28th, the EOS Alliance is actually hosting open conference calls for anyone in the community who wants to volunteer to be part of some of these smaller working groups. So if anyone's interested in that, go go to the EOS Alliance uh, website. That's at, at eosalliance.io. And what they're trying to do there is they're doing, you only have to be on one of those calls because it's going to be essentially the same conversation. They want to gouge interest. They want to have everyone introduce themselves. And they eventually want to break everyone down into five to seven person working groups to break down individual constitution articles and then design uh, around that at a principal level. So basically debate each piece of the constitution uh, in a way to uh, come up with proposals to maybe better that constitution over time because yeah. we also have the referendum that's that's been in the works for a while now exactly i think you know it's important to keep in mind that after a lot of these constitutional articles are proposed it's then up to a referendum of the community to basically tell the block producers hey we want this article we don't want that one we want these three but we don't want those other three so it's going to be cool to see what people end up voting on and what the community really values when it comes to the constitution so you posted a video recently uh, um, we're talking about all this voting and you posted something about uh how you want to propose a change to the voting mandate uh, or limitation for block producers, and you proposed increasing it to 100 votes as opposed to 30 votes. Yeah. you want to explain that position a little bit? Yeah, so the, uh, honestly, the biggest driving force behind this is when we think about block one voting in the future, once they're a minority voter, meaning they're not you know 50% or more of the total votes with their 100 million, and they decide to vote, one of the things that Dan mentioned is that he would really like to be able to vote for 50 or more, even 100 or more, even an infinite number of block producers. And if we think about somebody like Block One, who is the biggest beneficiary of the system, owns 10% of the tokens, has presumably the best interest of the network at heart, the ability for them to then vote for 100 people versus 30 allows them to remove some of these quote-unquote fake block producers or block producers that aren't, you know, complying with the block producer agreement. Block producers like uh, Jetta and there were a few others that have been totally anonymous, like EOS Cleaner, would basically allow them to sort of push those people out by voting for the 100 plus, maybe 200 plus that they believe to be legitimate. Um, but in addition, when you think about our current state before Block 1 votes, giving people the ability to vote for 100 people that they want versus 30 allows us to spread the votes out more and as a result, spread the payments out more. By giving people more options of who to choose from and, and more uh, slots to fill so to speak, if I have 100 EOS tokens, I can give those 100 EOS votes to 100 different block producers, we'll actually end up with more standby block producers. So I think it's a way for us to get more standby block producers, like a lot of people have been wanting, without reducing the requirement below the 100 EOS payout per day. So it's, it's a way to achieve that. It's a way to help block one in the future once they do decide to vote and sort of, you know, check off another box on their list to, to allow them to vote. So I, I guess the reason I brought that up is just to play devil's advocate to it of, Right now, there's no incentive model that incentivizes voting on the network. And you think about your, your casual retail investor, they just don't have the time to even research 30 block producers. Oh, absolutely. So to research 100 is, is crazy to me for that. And that's the biggest weakness I see with that proposal. But that doesn't mean your proposal is wrong. It just means that there's probably things that need to be worked out. Absolutely. And, you know, this is something where we really just wanted to start a conversation where we know the exact proposal we put out will likely not be the one. If anyone does get approved, it won't be the one that gets approved. It'll be some sort of modified version of that. But I think there are a lot of people out there, um, mainly proxies, that I think are going to want to vote for more than 30 that still meet their requirements. You know, there have been cases where we're talking with a proxy trying to, you know, get their vote where they have to unvote someone else or in order for them to bring on somebody that meets their proxy requirements better than we do, they have to leave us off. So for them to have the ability to add more than 30 votes, I think would make a massive impact on the ecosystem. So you, th you, you would support a proposal that maybe left the individual limit to 30 or 50? Thir where it's 30 currently, but then have a proxy have like a different set of rules where they could 
vote for more. Yeah, I would support that, but I don't see a reason why individuals need to have a different limit than different yeah than than the proxies, especially since you don't have to cast the full thirty or the full hundred. You mm -hmm. can cast one if you want to, um, but it, it gives you the flexibility and the ability to do that. Then, do you have any analytics to back up how many? Um the average wallet votes for is the average wallet voting for close to 30 or do you know that number offhand? i don't know that number now that would be interesting to see though there are a lot of interesting some other block producers have some pretty cool stats um i can't think of the name off the top of my head of the website but there are a bunch of different tools you can see of block producer votes maybe that's one of the metrics if not uh, it'd be cool to see that i'd be curious percentage. of one the average of everybody and then the other one would probably be a more manual analytic of like looking at the big whale wallets i've seen the different um voting tools where you could see kind of the bar charts with the right. big solid colors for the huge wallets and seeing if how many of those huge wallets are only voting for like five or less BPs. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I'm sure there's cases of that. Uh, I'm just not sure of how big of an issue it is. Right. I just don't have the time to look into that. I think that's a good place to stop. Uh, one of the things that we want to start doing is getting more feedback from you guys. So you're obviously leaving great comments in our YouTube channel or on SoundCloud. You're, you know, letting us know by subscribing that you like the show. But if there's a topic that you hear about, maybe we haven't heard of it, maybe we have, or an interesting article that you read that you think would you know, benefit us here on the show, that you think we could have an interesting discussion on, please tweet it at us. My handle is Finchify. Zach's is Blockchain Zach with a K. Tweet it at us and, and let us know, hey, you know, mention this on next week's Everything EOS. We, we want to hear about this. Or, uh, hey, what's the status on RAM? If you have any questions about EOS that you sort of want us to discuss and give you an update on, please do let us know, and we'd love to discuss it here on the podcast. All right, so I think that covers everything for this week. We look forward to talking to you guys next week. And like Rob said, let us know what you guys want us to talk about. We're, we're open to bringing on more guests. We want to we wanna talk about some of these governance issues, more ES Alliance issues. Uh, I kind of talked to Thomas Cox a little bit. We're going to try having him on in the nice. future to talk about the EOS Alliance. Um, Cypherglass had an employee that just started at Block. Did he start yet? At block one? Uh, let's see. It is August. Yes, he did. So he started on the 14th. Uh, Leo Ribeiro, who is doing some great work for us on our windshield monitoring tool on Glass, which is our transparency tool, all kinds of stuff. Now is a full-time employee at block one. So we were sad to see him go, but uh, also very excited that, you know, he has this opportunity to go and work for, you know, now what I think is probably one of the most promising companies in the world. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how much uh, flexibility he has to be allowed to talk publicly about certain things, but maybe privately he'll be able to talk to Rob. They have a relationship. Not that he's going to be breaking any rules with Block yeah. One. Well, he <laughs> mentioned, uh, you know, pending their approval that he would love to come on the show and sort of be a, a tech consultant for us. So explaining some things like the uh, EOS Rex market when you're going to be able to lend out your EOS, explaining other complex technical issues that he can do a better job of explaining since he is a developer, is a programmer, and sort of developing now on top of EOS at Block One is, is something that he's going to have an even deeper understanding of. So it'd be awesome to see him come on the show and explain that. And we'd love to have him on in the next couple of weeks. All right. Yeah. So if you guys want to get a hold of us, Rob gave you the instructions. You could also use hashtag everything EOS on Twitter. We'll be checking that more regularly also. So until next time, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS.